Yes, indeed, there are more questions than answers. Like, whose armrest is yours at the cinema? And what's that strange yellow, warm, bright circle in the sky I've seen all week? My name is Adrian Lee and I am your host. Welcome to the show, More Questions Than Answers, the only paranormal quiz show anywhere in the world. Each week, my guests and I will search the world's newspapers, websites and TV shows just for you to bring you the very best in paranormal talk radio, entertainment and enlightenment. We will then test each other's knowledge of the week's events of the mysterious, strange, supernatural, unusual, bizarre and just plain weird. If you have just tuned in especially to hear the show, then I admire your taste. If you have just tuned in by accident, then I admire your luck. I am huddled under my quilt with a large flashlight and a nice cup of tea with tonight's guest somewhere in the barren wildernesses of the Midwest Plains. With the sound of my elderly mother snoring distantly, from the room next door. So snuggle under your covers, turn out your lights and hold on tight. The rules are very simple. Points will be awarded randomly for being interesting and for making me laugh or shiver in horror. To help me control my rowdy panel of recidivists and reprobates, I will employ what I have called the inappropriate bell. An example of that would be... The panel have no idea what's coming. I have no idea what stories they have for tonight's show. And we are completely live and unedited. What could possibly go wrong? So without any further ado, let me start by introducing tonight's guest panel. Firstly, the mysterious and effervescent Heather Morris. She has been a paranormal investigator for many years with her own team called Hellhound Paranormal and does all of her best work in the shadows. She is now the audio and EVP expert with the International Paranormal Society and brings her knowledge and research skills to tonight's show. She has spent a week learning the ancient art of meditation. Well, it's better than sitting around and doing nothing. Welcome to the show, Heather. Konnichiwa. Konnichiwa. You've been practicing your Rosetta Stone Chinese. Or is that Japanese? I don't know. We shall look it up. What a great start to the show. More questions than answers straight off the bat. We shall do some research. We also have with us the analytical and sceptical mind of Kim Gore. Kim is also a talented and valued member of the International Paranormal Society. Kim once created Spook Getty by trapping a ghost in her pasta jar. Welcome to the show, Kim. <laughs> Hola. Hola. Finally, on tonight's show, I wish a very cosmopolitan theme to tonight, isn't there? Very kind of cultured feel already. I don't know why we can soon get rid of that, of course. That's, uh, that's something we can dismiss straight away. Finally, on tonight's show, I wish to introduce the calm and unflappable Greg Gore. He is married to Kim and we shall see if this is still the case after tonight's show. Greg is a paranormal investigator and tech expert. He owns and operates more cameras and leads 
than the BBC Outside Broadcast Department. He is also our producer and sound mixer. Greg is also an expert at Belgium kissing. It's like French kissing, but there's more phlegm involved. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Greg. Howdy. And one and all. <laughs> Fabulous. I'd like to start off by saying this is the 15th show of Series 1 and we're still here, so this is a good thing. There's been no major fights and no major arguments and we're still all here, gathered around our microphones, telling stories of the week's strange and paranormal events from around the world. What I would like to say, the weather at the moment is fabulous, of course. I'm really enjoying now we've got more light in the evening and how fabulous is it that spring has finally arrived at the beginning of the week, I must tell you very briefly, I, I nearly died, actually. I was driving along from Mankato to Wyndham, and I was on, I believe, Highway 60, and the weather was just atrocious. The worst driving conditions I've ever experienced in this country in the last five years on and off, and complete whiteout, couldn't see the road. The only reason I knew I was still on the road is because I had my tyres on the right-hand side on the rumble strip. And I knew if I kept the tyres on the rumble strip, I was still on the road. So intrinsically, I'm driving through the use of Braille at this point. It's like, yeah, I could, driving for the blind. I mean, what could possibly go wrong? Um, what I then discovered, and I have no idea how this happened or, or even what took place. Um, but this is like a scene from Planes, Trains and Automobiles, if you remember that film with John Candy and Steve Martin. But as I was driving along in terrible blizzard conditions, I can't see anything. My windscreen wipers are frozen. I can't see the road. I mean, just appalling conditions. As I'm driving along, I happen to notice over my right shoulder a semi and a couple of cars go past. So what I then discovered was I was on the wrong side of the road. I was on, a, I believe you call it a medium over here, but in Britain we'd call it a dual carriageway. Somehow or another unbeknownst to me and I still can't work this out I was driving on the wrong side of a medium or dual carriageway and when the dawning realization came as as it did in planes trains and automobiles if you recall the film I saw some headlights coming towards me I swear to god I think I've got the world record for the quickest three-point turn in bad conditions known to man because I, I just couldn't get the car around quick enough and I still don't know and it worries me immensely how that even happened how does that take place I have no idea. Was it a flashback to England? You're driving on the left side of the road? That's a possibility. I've never done that in Britain, but then the weather's never been that bad, to be honest. It's just a bit of rain and uh, very rarely snows. Having said a bit of rain, it's been the wettest um, couple of months in Britain in, in world record history. We've never had a wetter winter, and you've probably seen, uh, uh, you've seen scenes of London probably underwater. And my mum and dad, as we speak are probably growing gills and webbed feet is, is what we are. In fact, my dad's probably got trench foot at the moment, if, if, it, if it's that wet, I would gather. But one of the things I wanted to talk about, as well as good weather and bad weather, which we've experienced in abundance this week, is that uh, in terms of good weather, Kim and Greg, you've recently come back, and I'm not jealous in any way, shape or form, from a, a trip to Mexico. And uh, one of the things you was talking about with me that I'd quite like you to share with our listeners is that you visited while you were there some Mayan temples. So what I was wanting to ask you is, firstly, did you experience anything paranormal there? And what the general feeling was of going around these places of worship that are obviously ancient, you know, thousands of years old. So, Kim, um, explain to me where you went exactly and uh, what, what happened while you was there. What experiences have you got of those temples? Uh, we went to see the Tulum Temple. 
Uh, it's a castle on a cliff with some other buildings around it. And the first thing that we noticed uh, when we were packing, getting the camera ready to go, uh, wanted fresh batteries in it. And Greg and I did it together. He went and grabbed the brand new batteries, and I put the brand new batteries in the camera. And then we had a couple of spare batteries along with as well. And when we got to Tulum and wanted to do the typical tourism, take some pictures, our camera would not work, and it said dead batteries. This is quite common in terms of paranormal investigating, um, where you'd have a power drain, battery drain. And a lot of people that are skeptical put that down to the conditions in which you're working in. So if I'm investigating in a cemetery or a basement or a castle, they will say to me, well, of course you had a power drain. Of course it was cold, it was wet, it was miserable. That's going to drain batteries. This is where you now tell me that it was 100% humidity and it was 110 degrees. How, how was it? I don't know what the humidity was, but the temperature was probably 90s. Yeah, mid-90s. Yeah. So there's there's no way that that power drain is going to be from just cold weather is, no. is where I'm going And there was a that. ton of cameras, tourists around us taking pictures just fine. So it picked on you is what you're saying. Yes. And you now have no <laughs> pictures of this particular area. My cell phone. Oh, We got pictures on there. Ah, so the, we, do, we do have some. What happened... Um, when you got back to the hotel, when you left that site, did anything then take place? Uh, the couple that we had traveled to Mexico with, uh, we went to tell them about our camera not working, and I pulled it out to show them that the batteries were dead and was talking about it, and all of a sudden then the camera was working just fine. It's very typical, isn't it, how they mess you around. I've had examples of investigations in the St. James Hotel in Red Wing Springs to mind, where the moment I walked through the lobby doors, every piece of equipment I had in my possession just died and then when you leave it all comes back again there's been moments i've been recording on a handheld video camera and it's told me that it's run out you know it's got minutes left to go and the whole thing dies i take it back to the controlled area at the end of that vigil and the whole thing's come back again to where it was because obviously you know you charge it up don't you before you start a vigil you don't go in with your batteries low or without the power packs being charged Greg, did you get a sense when you was there? Because I know you're very sceptical and you're experiencing things now um, as our tech expert of, of going into buildings and starting to feel paranormal activity and to feel energy and so forth. What was your impressions when you were walking around? What did you pick up from there? Well, we had quite a walk to get to the gate. It's, it's a gated area, the big stone um, fences around it. And outside of that, I was really queasy and felt funny and because I assumed it was the heat at the time. But after I thought about it, I'd felt the same way in Jackson. Yeah, there, there was some incidents when we were investigating the um, Pioneer Village in Jackson where, where there were buildings that were so full of paranormal activity that when you walked into them, it was like walking through paranormal treacle or syrup. It was very thick, makes you sick to the pit of your stomach. And the important thing is you know, to remember what they feel like. So when they happen again... You have some sort of context um, or control in which to, to think, yes, I remember that feeling. That's where I was when this happened or that happened. I know in terms of my evolution as a psychic, it helped me enormously when I first started working as a paranormal investigator and a psychic to be with other well-known psychics and experiencing what they're experiencing. And then that psychic saying, this is what this feels like. This is what that feels like. It was a huge thing for me to be on an investigation and sense that something had arrived and me thinking it was a male spirit and then for the psychic in the room to then say something's arrived and it's a male spirit and then I'd log it and think ah 
that's what that feels like so that helped enormously so uh, i'm very jealous you brought some fabulous books back with you there's a really nice book you have where it shows the ruins of all these ancient mayan temples and buildings and then there's a piece of uh what would you call that um film like film yeah plastic clear film over the top that you lay over the top of the picture of the ruin and painted on top of that is how it looked originally with all the colors and how it was built because people look at the pyramids and think to themselves well you know they go down in almost like steps but pyramids were flat originally and all that's been worn away and they were smooth originally when they were first built Um, i never forget the first time i was taken to stonehenge when i was a kid and I turned around to my dad and said, it's a shame they never finished it. So there we are. So we shall jump straight into our first round, which is ghosts and hauntings. Ooh, very spooky indeed. Oh, well, there's a cat involved there as well. I don't know what the gentleman's <laughs> doing to that particular cat, but I'm sure it's illegal. Heather, you can start off tonight's show for me. And of course, there are points to be won in abundance. Man pronounced dead wakes up in a body bag. That's always a worry, isn't it? (laughs) And obviously was very unhappy with the situation. He was not happy. It seems that even specialists know for sure if someone is really dead or not. A weird incident occurred at a Mississippi funeral home where members of the personnel found a man alive and kicking in his own body bag. On Wednesday night, Coroner Dexter Howard of Holmes County, Mississippi, declared Walter Williams legally dead after feeling no pulse. Call it a miracle, but four hours later, Williams woke up in a body bag at the embalmers. The coroner was called to Mr. Williams' home in the city of Lexington by a hospice nurse. She found him with no signs of a pulse and declared him dead at 9 p.m. It is thought that the man's pacemaker had stopped working for a short period of time, and that's why the coroner had found no heartbeat. They also believe that the pacemaker all of a sudden started working again, which is why he came back to life four hours later. He wasn't visiting a Mayan temple, was it? And all the uh, juice in his pacemaker (laughs) just fell away. I have no idea, but I found that story completely bizarre. Every now and then I come across stories like this. When when I've worked on other radio shows and uh, done other um, radio presentations, as it were, I always, over the last five or six years, have found stories like this, and it's very worrying. I mean, what if he'd have woken up and his kidney would have been missing? I mean, that's a serious concern. There was a gentleman in France several years ago that woke up in a morgue at the point they were about to harvest his vital organs that's what I was for say. donation. Right, right. I mean, who'd want a French kidney anyway? But that's not the point. Do you know what I mean? It's, <laughs> you know, but it worries me. These are some of the things that worry me. When we do these stories on the show, your octopus coming out of the toilet, that, that's worried me. Every time I go to the toilet now, I'm looking to see if there's something down there with tentacles that's going to grab my Before vital organs. Before or after you sit down. Well, normally it's advisable to do it before you sit down. I mean, once you've sat down, you're committed, aren't you, at that point? And if, if you see an act- octopus afterwards... Well, you're going to wonder what you've been eating that week. I should really chew my sushi more is where I'm going with that. But, you know, this is one of my fears in life, sitting on the toilet and having something come up and uh, introduce itself to me. And uh, that sense of being in a body bag or dying. You know, how many people have been buried and how many people have had their organs harvested? I mean, this is where the phrase saved by the bell comes from. Right, because it was tied to their toe or their hand. Yeah, in the Victorian period, this was a, a real problem. And I've spoken to people that work in From ER. the Victorian period. I'm not that old. <laughs> I, have, I have spoken to people from the Victorian period, but that's, that's another story. 
Um, I've spoken to, to doctors that have worked in ER and we've had long discussions about what it is to be dead. What, what is it that makes you dead? What, what has to stop working? Because you still have brain function. You know, there was a footballer called Fabrice Muamba who played for Bolton Wanderers and a couple of years ago, if anyone goes onto YouTube and wants to see this incident, um, Bolton Wanderers were playing Tottenham Hotspur in a soccer match. There was 70,000 people in the stadium. Everyone was watching live at home and this young lad, who was only 22, just fell down in the middle of the pitch and died. And uh, the trainers come running on, the physio came running on and uh, can you imagine the hushed silence, you know, as this lad, you know, is having CPR and uh, they're trying to save his life on the pitch in front of everybody. And he was dead for 78 minutes. You know, after 78 minutes, they brought him back to life and he's fine. He can't play soccer again, but physically he's fine. Um, so, you know, if you want to see that, it's a really emotional clip and uh, it's quite an interesting. Obviously, the guy came back to life. He'd even died. That, that clip wouldn't be shown, of course, but he's fine now. But after 78 minutes, if someone would have come in and said he's dead, do you see what I mean? Mm -hmm. And they brought him back again. In fact, the only reason this lad's alive is because one of the supporters in the crowd was actually a heart specialist at London Hospital. So he introduced himself to the people on the pitch and said, I'm a heart specialist. So do you know that moment where you're on on an aeroplane, for example, you're in a building and someone says, is there a doctor here? This lad's only alive because one of the supporters cheering one of the teams that evening was actually a heart specialist so you know he's a very lucky gentleman and if people want to see that they're more than welcome to do so you should have points in abundance i'm feeling very generous today because spring is in the air and there's a large strange hot yellow ball hovering up in the sky and i shall give you two (laughs) (laughs) that's generous well i can it, it can be worse of course Minus two. I'll give you three. I'm feeling bad about that. That was, that was yeah, three points. And don't don't ever let it be said I don't give you anything. Would it help if I told you it's supposed to snow tonight? It wouldn't help in the slightest. I'd keep quiet about that. You can contact me at any time during the week or tonight's show in several ways. Firstly, you can send me messages and post comments on my Facebook wall. More questions and answers with Adrian Lee, which is a fabulous place. If you get a chance, more questions and answers with Adrian Lee on Facebook. I think at the moment... I'm right in saying that we have three and a half thousand followers and listeners on there. And all of tonight's show and all of our stories will be posted on there for your perusal. We cannot, in the course of an hour and a few minutes, get through every story of the paranormal and strange during our radio show. So there are things on there that we can't show you, that we can't say live on air, just because we don't have enough time. So you're more than welcome to go on there and have a look. I'm going to uh, mention this story here in our part of ghosts and hauntings this uh, is the title of the story is called zombie film triggers axe attack 999 <laughs> that's getting a lot of use that one isn't it i want to shout wipe out after that isn't there a song where it goes wipe out kind of yes. the beach boys if my memory serves me right 999 of course is uh, the british equivalent of 911 so many people come over to britain now and dial 911 They've actually linked 911 with 999, and it goes to the same place now. So they've kind of mopped that up. I thought you'd be interested. It says, Officers have been responding to a report in Harrogate in England of teenagers armed with an axe and a victim lying bloodied on the floor. An emergency call to a bloody axe attack sent police racing to the scene 
only to discover it was a group of budding young filmmakers shooting a zombie movie. The mix-up in Harrogate was revealed by North Yorkshire Police on Twitter. Officers, I like the way police spend all their time going on Twitter. Wouldn't you rather have them actually go and catch some criminals or be out (laughs) on the street looking for crime? It's ridiculous. Officers had been responding to a report in the town of teenagers armed with an axe and a victim laying bloodied on the floor. Just another night out in North Yorkshire. Don't ever go to Leeds on a Saturday night. It will have been with some relief that they arrived to find it was a harmless, undead film shoot involving the use of fake blood. Isn't this great this happened in Britain? Because in America, they'd have turned up and shot him. I'm just saying, this is the difference, you know. Yeah, shoot first. Or we would have known right away what they were doing. There you go. The false tweeted 999 call reported axe attack in Harrogate. Several officers at the scene. Turns out four youths making zombie film using fake blood. It prompted a number of jokes from Twitter users, and we do use the word joke in its broadest possible sense, but it says, responding with good humour, the control room tweeted it could have had grave consequences and glad it was a call with good intent. I don't get that joke. Glad it was a call with good intent. I've no idea why they're trying to be funny there or what that involves. This reminds me, I did go to a university to study, as you know, fine art. And part of the course around what I was studying, there was an illustration course, there was a printmaking course, there was a filmmaking course. It was an art college. It was doing very arty things. But there was five lads living with me in a big student house, big student accommodation, and they were filmmakers. And they went down into the basement to film a horror film. And they did exactly what happened here. They got lots of pig's blood and lots of guts and they threw it all up the walls and they filmed a horror film. I often wonder... Bearing in mind this is like 1989, 1990, I often wonder if the next group of people came into that house, went down into the basement and saw all the blood splayed up the walls and had wondered what had happened. Because it never got cleared up. I often thought, what happens next? Who went in there? Who's seen that? They probably had thousands of Jesuit priests going through this building in the last 20 odd years. But often, if you're listening in England and you're in the Maidstone area of Kent and you've discovered lots of blood all over your basement walls, then do get in touch because I'd like to chat with you and tell you that there's nothing to worry about. Kim, what have you got for me in the area of ghosts and hauntings? I've got a woman found dead in garage after five years because house was foreclosed on. <laughs> We're going to Pontiac, Michigan. The body of the woman, who was in her 40s, was discovered Wednesday in the back seat of a Jeep parked in the garage of a house on Savannah Drive in a quiet, middle-class neighborhood. It always happens in quiet, middle-class neighborhoods. There's the serial killer that's killed 25 people, buried them in the yard, and has been wearing their skin on their face. And the neighbors always say, he was such a quiet guy, he was really nice with the kids. <laughs> Isn't it always the way? Uh, Oakland County Undersheriff Mike McCabe said investigators believe that the woman has been dead since at least 2008. That's the same year the license plate on the Jeep expired. She had $54,000 in her account and her bills were being deducted, McCabe said. Eventually the money ran out and her house went into foreclosure. The undersheriff said neighbors told deputies they thought the woman had moved out of the country because they had not seen her for three years or more. Uh, An autopsy showed there was no trauma to the body. And a cause of death is pending. She didn't wake up then by any chance. (laughs) (laughs) Not yet. Five years, you'd look a bit rough, wouldn't you, to be honest? 
The Oakland County Sheriff's Department believes the dead woman may be the homeowner listed as 49-year-old Pia DeVita Farnkopf in public records. Uh, a suicide by carbon monoxide seems unlikely because there was no suicide note. The key was partially in the ignition, but the key was not turned. At this time, investigators are treating the death as a homicide, and the medical examiner's office told investigators they're awaiting toxicology results, which could take weeks, and plan to ID the Jane Doe using dental records. Um, McCabe said detectives located relatives of the homeowner, they believe, who live in New England, but have not yet spoken to them. Though she disappeared, she had set up her bills, her mortgage, phone, cable, electric, and gas to be paid automatically through her bank account, and life went on. Modern technology is amazing. It's remarkable that you can be dead for five years, yet everything still keeps processing and keeps working. I remember as a child reading the Judge Dredd comic, if you're aware of the the comic hero Judge Dredd from the films they made of him over here, but he's a very iconic British character, and of course he's a law enforcement. I think um, Sylvester Stallone played him in one of the films of Judge Dredd, but what what had happened was they they have sort of 20 lanes of cars all going around because it's the future and you'd have 20 lanes of solid traffic and they would put all their prisoners on a little island in amongst a roundabout or in amongst all of these 20 lanes of traffic so if the prisoners escaped they couldn't get through all of the traffic so that was the first thing but of course all the cars are being driven on almost like cruise control or autopilot. So on one of the comics I remember, Judge Dredd breaks through the roof of a kind of RV and all the passengers are dead. They're like skeletal. But the vehicle's still going round and round and round and round on all of these roads. And it just reminded me of that. But another nightmare for me. I mean, already have you mentioned the fact that this guy's died previously heather's story and he came back to life so i'm thinking oh that's a bit of a nightmare that's going to give me a neurosis and then the fact that you could be dead and not found for five years what's going on in that woman's life that someone hasn't noticed that she's not been there a silly question would be wouldn't that stink you'd think and that one of the neighbors was mowing the lawn for well, there's a meat processing plant, isn't there, in Wyndham? And you could be dead for 10 years next door to that and no one would know. <laughs> That's the point. I mean, if she's in the garage, you know, garage, see, I, I'll, I'll go American on your garage, garage, and uh, no one's found her. I mean, they're quite airy, aren't they? They're not airtight garages, are they? No. Can you imagine if you're showing somewhere around the house and, and here we have, you know, the reception area and there's lots of lighted south facing and here's the lobby and uh, here's the master bedroom and here's the, uh, here's the garage, watch where you're treading. I mean, it's just, you know, at that point, five years of whereabouts is this? Is this in the south? Pontiac, Michigan. Michigan. So it's fairly north. There's, she could have. It's not like imagine if that was in Louisiana. I mean, there'd just be like gloop left, wouldn't there? It'd be hot in a garage, surely. I don't know. More very. questions and there answers. There are always more questions and answers, and Kim shall be given a very healthy three points. I've got one more story here, but I'm not quite sure what category it's in, so I'm just going to read it, because it's my show and we're running an <laughs> autonomous dictatorship. It says, Thousands flock to small Israeli town to see statue of the Virgin Mary that weeps oil. Hundreds of people have flocked to a small town in northern Israel to view a statue of the Virgin Mary that residents say weeps oil. Members of a Christian family of Tarashiha near the Lebanon border say they have witnessed a miracle in their living room. Osama Kahuri said Tuesday that his wife Amira found the statue covered with oil. 
Amira said the statue spoke to her and told her not to be afraid. How many times have you stood there covered in oil, Greg, and said to Kim, don't be afraid? (laughs) After a neighbour witnessed the oil, word soon spread. Parts of the statue appear to be slick with moisture, even after it is wiped. The family's... I know where your mind's going, Kim, and I'm going to press the bell. This is what it is to be psychic. The family says it is most striking when a tear seems to roll down the statue's cheek. It says that some 2,000 people have come to see the statue over the course of the last week. Do you know what they do to make some of these statues weep? There is a trick to this, by the way. I'm not saying this isn't real. I know there's a trick, but I don't recall. Yeah, if you glaze a statue so it has a a glazed surface, the base of the statue isn't normally glazed because when you're putting the glaze on before it gets fired in the kiln, the bottom obviously isn't going to be glazed. So the bottom is porous. So if this is an earthenware firing, which is anything above, I think, a, a thousand degrees, you get stoneware and earthenware firings, and it, it's how porous, how much moisture is basically forced out of the clay. So if this is a really high temperature firing, look at me getting all arty and all, all ceramic on you. But uh, if this is glazed and fired at a, a stoneware firing, what you then do is you get a pin, and where you've put your glaze on, you, you make a little hole where the tear duct would be. So what then happens is that moisture enters the ceramic after it's been fired via the base and then depending on climatic conditions and high pressure and low pressure, it can force the moisture out through the hole you've made and it then looks like it's crying. So I know there's a trick to this and there is you know, ways in which you can make this look as if it's taking place, but oil seems very bizarre. I'm not quite sure. It makes you want to analyse what the oil is. Well, it's in the Middle East, isn't it? Yes, in Lebanon, yeah. Or it's in Israel, close to Lebanon. I better not get those two modelled up. They've been fighting for millennia. Um, But you're absolutely right. It's in Israel, of course, which is uh, where Mary um, originally... Had a little lamb. Had a little... No, I don't think it was a lamb. I think it was... I think she had an immaculate contraption and uh, Jesus suddenly appeared. But uh, yeah, that's very odd. And it makes you wonder what the oil... Oil, of course, is used in every religion. Oil's used in Christianity, anointing oils. They use oil, of course, in witchcraft and uh, voodoo and all kinds of uh, religions around the world. It has a universal um, belief attached to it, I guess, in the same way that salt does. Because you need salt, of course, in holy water. And salt is used to dispel evil in uh, many faiths and religions. So very interesting. And there are, of course, more questions than answers. We shall move on swiftly to our cryptozoological realm. This is hairy beasties and all things green going meat meep and coming out of flying saucers <laughs> heather what have you got for me this week in the round of green men and hairy beasties chupacabra spooks man in virginia i thought a chupacabra was uh spanish for a cup of coffee isn't it that's a chip of coffee that's a chip of coffee isn't it? i think you'll find chip of coffee as a psychic on several channels a chip of coffee we're gonna get sued i know no chip of coffee you're chip gonna of... get sued it's your show so you say it and i get sued how does that work chip... i'm telling you that a chip of cobra is a cup of coffee in spanish did you use that at all when you was in mexico kim no. is that something you used next time you're down there chip of coffee and they'll know exactly chip what you're <laughs> there is a story in there dying to get out this is not another mangy dog story is it A 49-year-old man claims he saw chupacabras Monday while working on his car in front of his residence. There were no words to describe the horror I felt when it looked me in the eye, Hamilton reported. 
He explained the event took place about midnight after he decided to replace the stereo inside his old car. Why he would do it at midnight, I have no idea. That's very specific as well, isn't it? He also gave the spark plugs a clean and drained the oil. Yeah, well, this might explain it a little bit. He said, I had an argument with my wife and I wanted to get some fresh air. Fair enough. He stripped a car down and put it back together. (laughs) So I went ahead and figured I'd get... Uh, this would be the right time to replace my old stereo and to vent a little. Hamilton says he began hearing strange noises by the trash can and that he first thought it was the cat or a raccoon possibly looking for food. When the creature began moving, the man said, it looked like a robot performing mechanical movements. I was horrified. It looked like a big rat, huge ears, like a rabbit, red eyes, and scaly gray skin. So it's got scales. It looks like a rabbit. It also looks like a rat and it's doing robotic dancing. Yes. But he's not been drinking, is he? Because if you have a row with your wife and you go to the garage to fix the car at 12 midnight. To replace the stereo, You're not right? going to be drinking, are you? Yeah, I know. And then this this is the part. Uh, he he turned off the lights and then he went to turn them back on, but it was gone. Why, if you're scared, would you turn off the lights and so then it, turn them back on? So it doesn't on? come after you. If you're lit up like a Christmas tree and there's a giant rat beast in front of you doing rob- rat rabbit rat rabbit rat rabbit rat rabbit <laughs> if you say rat rabbit three times you get a wish but he said I was scared to death and I had no idea whether it was there or if it had left I think a dog got amorous with a rabbit and uh, this is where we probably are. had mange or something am I the only person that fancied Bugs Bunny when he dressed as a woman <laughs> okay yes I was and what else was in the story? <laughs> and, and that's what caused you to go into ceramics. <laughs> if I had to guess what it was, I'd say it was one of those chupacabras. I don't know. It was pretty freaky. Where was this again? Where did this take this place? This was in Bridgewater, Virginia. If anyone's in Virginia and they see a giant rabbit scaly rat doing robot dancing, I don't understand why it would be moving like a robot. Do you think the next door neighbors have got this giant robot in the shape of a rat? I think you might be right. It was midnight. He had been drinking, obviously. Let's go and let's go and torment old man Withers by getting the old rat robot out. We'll get some batteries in the remote control and we'll sit it in front of his driveway is what's happened. And his name was Eustace. <laughs> there you go. That's a very random name, but you know, it's a random kind of evening i guess so i shall randomly give you two points you are now on a resplendent three and i don't care what you say well only because no one else has said any stories this round let me enjoy it you are winning yes (laughs) at the moment you are in the lead but i shall be coming round the mountain when she comes we are in the cryptozoological round i have a story here it says man with tail seen on video being worshipped as a god The 35-year-old of India is surrounded by worshippers every day as the 14-inch towel grown out of his back make them think he is a living god. Chandra Orion has said that he's had his towel from birth and some Hindus believe that this is a sign of the monkey god known as Hunuman. Orion picks tea leaves and is forced to climb trees like a monkey. Devotees from, at least he's not in this country, he'd be banging cymbals together on a Duracell advert or something. Devotees from all over the country travel to his home in the hope of touching his towel and getting a blessing. He's lucky it's his towel, isn't it, really? Can you imagine the problems you might get? How long was it? It's a good 14 inches, sweetheart. (laughs) Um, But this is in India and it's very warm there. Of course, this is cold climate in this country. If it was any other area of his body and people were touching it for good luck, he'd never make it to the shops and back, would he? As a child, Orion was mocked. Well, he's not mocked now, is he? That's the main thing. But now he is famous. However, his wife says that she does not like his towel. 
He does not look good. His wife said my parents died and I had no choice but to marry him. She added. She just married him for his tail. You know what? I saw his tail. Did you really? It's disgusting. Is it? Is it really? Yes. He's climbing trees. You know what it looks like? Honestly, it looks like he has a big mole and it's hair growing out of the mole. If you if you have hairs growing out of your bottom, they do mat into a horn shape, and you can charge Land Rovers running backwards at them with your trousers down. I, I've discovered that, like on a safari, <laughs> like a rhinoceros. <laughs> but it is. It looks like it's a dreadlocked mole butt hair. So basically, you can dreadlock all your bum hairs together yes. and make it look like Bob Marley's bottom. Yes. Wow. See, this is a very informative show. I didn't know such things existed. <laughs> or a dingleberry. Or a dingleberry, even. I'm not quite sure where this is going. Greg's given up, and uh, I shall give you... Why am I giving you points? It's my story. What's wrong with you? Because I embellished it wonderfully. You, you did, and your hypnotic charms are working, so I shall put my shield of Perseus up to deflect all of that and give myself three points, despite you forcing me to think of dingleberry hair and charging... Safari vehicles in the Serengeti by running backwards like a rhinoceros. How bizarre. This is indeed more questions than answers. Stay with me for more of the same, unfortunately, after these short messages from our sponsors. The Lakes Area Paranormal Interest Group meets bi monthly to discuss all things paranormal. The group's primary focus is on the topic of UFOs, but they also delve into alien abductions, cryptozoology, Bigfoot, hairy bottoms, Rastafarians, crop circles, and ghosts. Come with an open mind and be prepared to discover the who, what, when, where, why, and how of these phenomena. Meetings are from 7 o'clock to 9 p.m. Central Time in the banquet room of the American Legion Club in Waite Park. Minnesota, and I do believe that in April of next month they're having Chad Lewis as one of their guest speakers. And of course, Chad Lewis is the author of the Haunted Minnesota Guides, the road guides to everything haunted and paranormal in the Midwest. So if you wish to go and see that, it's between 7 and 9 p.m. Central Time in the Banquet Room of the American Legion, Waite Park, the first Monday of every month. For more information, visit their website, lapig.org, to see all of the details. For people who believe that standing in a cold, dark basement in the middle of the night for hours on end is perfectly normal. The Minnesota chapter of the Mutual UFO Network, MUFON, meets the second Saturday of every month at the New Brighton Community Centre, New Brighton, Minnesota. Meetings are from 2 to 5 p.m. Central and include investigation reports, open mic, book reviews, videos and guest speakers. Everyone with an interest in UFOs is welcome to attend. For anyone who has experienced a UFO sighting or knows someone who has, this is the place to be. Meeting agendas, driving directions and tons of UFO information can be found at mnmufon.org. If you believe that your business or product would benefit from being mentioned live on air across the nation and to the globe, to a large target audience of morbidly fascinated and strangely interested listeners, I would love to hear from you. You are listening to the very best in live paranormal digital talk radio, and I am your host, Adrian Lee. In the lyrics and the words of the reggae legend that is Johnny Nash, there are indeed more questions than answers, and the more I find out, the less I know. I am famous for being banned in Lithuania for introducing the world to dirty hobo water and sometimes the annoying inability to say 
abominable snowman live on air. Had to think about that, I, didn't you? I, I always make sure I think about that word before uh-huh. I say it because uh, <laughs> it is one of the problem words. I have a dyslexia over that for some reason. I just can't seem to say it. I have to pause and, and think about it. You know, I know I have a problem with it, but at least I'm aware and... I say Yeti. I say Yeti. Don't start bringing the squirrel up. That's just wrong. (laughs) Welcome back for the second part of tonight's show. If you've just joined us, then where have you been and what could have been more important? If you have stayed with me, then let me raise your spirits further by saying that we still have 50% of the show still to go. Hurrah and a happy dance all the way around the bedroom. I've been handed a fresh cup of tea and the promise of cookies. I have fresh flashlight batteries and my mother has now stopped snoring from the room next door. So onwards, we march. Heather, what have you got for me tonight in the area of the bizarre and strange? No jokes. No jokes in the bizarre and strange. I'm not going to be able to manage that. Woman wakes up to find four-foot snake on her chest. <laughs> <laughs> My mum said if I had nothing nice to say, not to say anything at all. In fact, I'm just going to think it. Hang on a second. Let's have some dead air. There's my joke. (laughs) And there's the inappropriate bell. Guardbridge, Scotland, March 10th. Oh, it's Scotland. Yeah. Yeah, Hot off the presses. Is he a Big Mac? (sighs) Don't do it. No, I'm still... I'm. You, Hold it all in. I'm holding it all in. I will explode at some point in, I know in, you will. in a giant ball of innuendo, but you do continue. <laughs> this is great. A Scottish woman said she awoke to a snake crawling on her body. Hold it in, Adrian. I, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and then it, it bit her on the breast as she tried to brush it off. Well, we can suck the poison out. That's no problem. <laughs> Caroline Griffin, 49, of Guardbridge, said she initially didn't think the four-foot snake was real when she woke up to find it crawling on her under her blanket. If she's 49, I bet it was crawling around her waist. Oh! (laughs) I can't help myself. What are You You can't help it. Not in this type of story. No. At first, I thought it was my kids that were playing a trick. Oh, my God. They're blessed. (laughs) They should be in the circus. Wow. But I got the fright of my life when I saw it move, Griffin said. I began to scream and it immediately bit me on the breast. It didn't climb. Tell me it didn't come out of the toilet, please. Maybe. Tell me this didn't come out of the toilet. <laughs> I, I'm having problems going as it is. The snake turned out to be the long missing pet of her neighbor, Gareth Niven, 21, who said the reptile is a California king snake and not venomous, at least. I bet it still has to be bitten on the tip by one, though. <laughs> I hadn't seen him since he got out of his tank six months ago. He's been missing six months. I bet there's no mice in that house. Four foot snake, six months. I get a kick gone. out of the fact that she says she brushed it off. Would four foot long? You brush it off, or do you like pick maybe up and she throw caressed it? it for a while? I guess it depends what you're used to, Kim. <laughs> <laughs> um, Greg has been given two points just for looking cocky. <laughs> Niven said he'd never bitten a person before and probably just reacted to Caroline screaming. Probably hungry. So does your snake bite when a girl screams? Uh, It's been so long, I can't remember. (laughs) I'll let you know when it happens. We might do something live on air just for the listeners one day, I don't know. (laughs) But that's appalling. I just wonder, how does it get next door? Does it climb through the letterbox? I don't know. 
I mean, no. let's let's take this back a stage. It's in a tank, yeah? Yeah. Some student who's 21 who drinks and smokes drugs has thought it's fun to have some kind of Californian snake in a four tank. Four-footer. A four-foot snake. It then disappears. How does it end up six months later in the bed of the woman next door? Is that a really slow snake where it's just kind of <laughs> meandering? You know, it's like know. it's like it's like a snail knocks on your door and you pick it up and throw it, and two years later it comes back and knocks on your door again and says, "Why did you do that?" I just don't understand, Harry. I, you've got me. I wonder I if the woman was using it as one of those door insulations. If she was myopic <laughs> and she's got this snake in front of the door to keep the. I mean, Scotland's cold. Let's face facts. People go to Scotland and you say to them, "What was it like?" And they say, "Well, it rained all week." And you think, well, "What did you expect? You went to Scotland. It's not Mexico." Could it's- it have? hibernated if it had got out hibernated maybe if it was during the winter months there it's always cold in scotland even in the summer you're gonna get trench foot but <laughs> I, I wonder if the snake had some sort of uv i'm no expert on keeping reptiles but i believe and i'm happy to be corrected that if you keep a reptile you have to have a uv light because that's how its digestion system works so if, if this snake had a uv light above it once it's escaped it's obviously not going to eat and it's going to hibernate to a certain degree because it doesn't have access right. to UV light. It's Scotland. The sun does not come out in Scotland. It's just constant precipital rain just from the moment you arrive to the moment you leave. So I'm guessing it's hibernated. I don't know how it got next door. Did it get through the letterbox? What I had happened? a girlfriend that one time opened up her washing machine and it was filled with gardener snakes. How does, again, how does that happen? That doesn't help me, does it? That just Are you just, gonna sleep well tonight? I don't mind snakes. I just don't want to go out with one or find one in the bed. But how how does that happen? How did they get in there? I I don't know. This is this this, this, water is, this, is, this, is, this is what tells you that you need to empty your pockets before you put your washing in the washing machine. Who's carrying snakes in their po- never mind. There are more questions. <laughs> than answers for that resplendent story i shall give you two points you are now on seven and it's all to play winning you are still winning i'm not quite sure how that's happening to be honest kim you can readdress the balance in our stories of the strange and bizarre scientists discover world's oldest cheese on chest of thirty-five thousand year old mummies this is all about chest tonight isn't it if it's not cheese sorry did you say cheese yes on a chest. On a chest. Okay, there's some jokes to be had there somewhere. Let me think about that while you're reading those out. Archaeologists. It's a soft cheese. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't have to think long. Archaeologists, I do apologize. Uh, archaeologists who were analyzing an ancient tomb in Taklamakan Desert in China found yellow Where was mounds. that? Sorry. <laughs> Taklamakan. There you go. Uh, found yellow lumps believed to be the world's oldest cheese on mummies buried around 3,600 years ago. I said 35,000 before. I meant 3,500, sorry. Uh, The cheese was attached to the necks and chests of perfectly preserved mummies. The mummies were discovered in 1934 by Swedish archaeologist Folke Bergman at a burial site known as the Small River Cemetery No. 5. Among them, there was a female mummy known as the Beauty of... Zayahoe. There you go. The cheese was found during archaeological excavations conducted between 2002 and 2004. It seems that the multiple layers of leather that covered the mummy's bodies and the dry, salty sand of the desert helped preserve the cheese. I don't understand Ew. how they discovered that 
tomb and those mummies. What was the year 1935, was it? Uh, the mummies were discovered in 1934. The 34. excavations, though, didn't happen until 2002 to 2004. Wow. They do enough work slow in China, don't they? I'm glad they're not doing my extension or doing any building work with me. That's remarkable. It's like living in Russia where they say, you know, I can't come out and see you for your plumbing because, uh, you know, I'll be there in three years' time is where they are. <laughs> I I don't understand how it took so long, but I do believe that when you're buried, they give you things to take with you into the next life. So cheese and crackers is obviously the way to go. You know, this is where we are. Mini- no, she made her own cheese. Oh, what, with her breast milk? Yes. I find this bizarre. I just find this bizarre. It's There's, aged. No, there are people that, that make think their own cheese. For some reason, you, why would you want to give someone as a present something that's made from expressed breast milk? Why do people think I would want a rice pudding from someone's You're breast missing milk? it. How no, I'm, it was a female mummy. Her yes. breasts made the cheese. I get that. I understand what you're saying. They need to be churned, though, don't they? I'm no expert in making cheese, but there is a process involved. <laughs> here, you just sweetie. can't grab I your. Le- make some you can't just grab your left breast and shake it around a bit. No, that's a milkshake. Oh man! <laughs> they actually say in the article that the the cheese making technology and having found this cheese and and tested it, it was a huge find because of the type of how uh, the technology that they used to make the cheese. It was lactose free, <laughs> and it was it's it was done in a process similar to today how we make uh, cottage cheese. Oh wow! So my, it was my, a huge find. My granddad tried to make cottage cheese once when I was a kid, and he just thought he could leave some cheese on the side, and it would some milk, just moldy milk. He thought. Um, oh no! We tried to catch it with a net, but it was it was a slippery little <laughs> bugger, and uh, the thing was moving. You could watch it moving. It was a live culture, but. You know, I don't understand. You read stories week in, week out of people that give the gift of breast milk. You know, here's some cheese I've made with my breast milk. Here's a rice pudding I've made. Why do they think they... Let me knock on your door. Look, I've made you a spunk sandwich. There you go. Here, have that. (laughs) No, it's... it's, You know, why why do they think I would want that? What makes you think under any circumstances? I, I don't sit at home thinking what I want now is a breast milk cheese sandwich you must draw that to yourself though i have never had anyone say that to me really greg what have you had i've stayed out of this <laughs> well that, there's there's guilty straight off the bat isn't it he's pleading the fifth okay i'm going to tell you a story now in the bizarre and strange round it says skydiving girl survives falling nearly 1,000 metres. Trauma surgeon says Mackenzie Weddington, 16, should be dead after plummeting from such a height. The 16-year-old US girl who fell more than 3,000 feet to the ground in a skydiving accident survived and is recovering from her many injuries. Dr. Jeffrey Bender, a trauma surgeon, said Mackenzie Weddington had hurt her liver and broken her pelvis, lower spine, a shoulder blade and several ribs in Saturday's fall. She also has a broken tooth. That seems fairly irreverent, doesn't it? I don't know the particulars of the incident as I wasn't there. Well, let me guess, she fell out of a plane and hit the floor. But if she truly fell 3,000 feet, I have no idea how she survived, Bender told reporters. The girl was in good condition, Bender said, and she was expected to leave the intensive care unit. Um, She's unfortunately now two feet shorter, of course. The girl's parents let her jump, but her father, Joe Weathington, now says the skydiving company should not have allowed it. 
This reminds me, there's several stories um, of the Second World War where pilots had to jump out of burning aircraft at 30,000 feet as their only way of surviving and their parachutes were on fire and at such altitudes, you know, they fainted or became unconscious due to the lack of air. And there were stories where they woke up on the ground without much in terms of injury, wondering how they got there. So there are stories of people surviving great heights and great falls. Um, I think there was a Russian gentleman during the Second World War that survived, but then I think he fell through some pine trees and into thick snow. But even so, travelling at those kinds of speeds, you know, you reach a terminal velocity, don't you? I'm led to believe. But uh, quite remarkable. But this reminds me, many, many years ago, I was friends with a nurse who worked in Hammersmith Hospital in West London. And uh, she had a case come into her ward where a mountaineer had fallen down a mountainside and he had many, many internal injuries and the same kind of conditions she had of of broken spine and, and cracked ribs and everything else. She was doing the night shift and of course it's very quiet on a ward at night time. And all the way through the night she could hear these clicking noises and she couldn't work out where the clicking noises were coming from. Well, what they discovered was that this mountaineer had fallen down the mountain and cartwheeled and and somersaulted and everything else. All his internal organs had all been mixed up. So during the course of the night, as he was laying in bed, all his organs were starting to work their way back to where they should have been. And everything inside him was kind of moving around and making clicking noises. So it just reminds me of that. And uh, it is very bizarre and very strange. And she's very lucky to be alive. And I wouldn't suggest jumping out of an aeroplane at 3,000 feet without a parachute. This moves us to our final round. Have we said all of our stories for this round? Am I jumping in? We are. Fabulous. This round is called Not For Your Mother for a very good reason. If you listen to the show on a regular basis, you will realise that these are the stories of the evening that we leave to last. So make sure all the miners are out of the room. Make sure anyone who's easily offended is out of the room. And dwarves. Make sure. Why dwarves? Miners. Oh, man, you're talking about snow. Why aren't you? <laughs> Holy smoke. <laughs> I don't know. I'm glad you interrupted me for that gem. That was... that was. Uh, That's what miners do. That I know. I'm gems. aware of that scene, yeah. Yeah, whenever I used to sit watching the television and see my dad picking his nose, I remembered the scene in Snow White and the Seven Dwarves with all those little green emeralds glowing as they were picking and uh, excavating. Yeah, very similar to the way my dad's nose operates unfortunately (laughs) so your mother should be safely out of the room put her into a bed in scotland with a snake is my advice kim you can kick off tonight's round you are currently on a respectable six you are one point behind heather so everything is to play for Uh, army's top sex assault prosecutor suspended for sex assault at sex assault conference just, just say that again for me. If that's do it again. Po- say it do it three again. times, right? In fact, I, I, you could ring up a hotline and, and get a similar conversation yeah. going. I suspect that's a lot of essays. And uh, Greg is now covered from head to foot in uh, <laughs> what's the words I should use? Spittle. Spittle. There you go. I'm glad he's opposite <laughs> you and not me. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Joseph Morse allegedly groped a lawyer at a sexual assault legal conference. No relation. That's almost bordering on. Don't give me the, I didn't she gave me the mother it. look. You got the, well, at least you didn't get the mother finger. It is spelled different than your last oh, name. Oh, good. <laughs> well, it wouldn't surprise me if they were related. This is, this is almost what? the, um, isn't there a sense of uh, 
a parody almost that you know at a, at a sexual it's like going it's like driving to a conference on on how to be a safe driver and crashing on the way there you know there's a sense of irony about that isn't there yes yes <laughs> well i'm busy thinking though one's an accident and the other is like he knew what he was doing it was intentional oh, a, allegedly allegedly you've got the go. great trifecta there what's that well it says it in the title go on <laughs> well, i don't want to say the title one yes, more time one more okay. time so he gets it army's top sex assault prosecutor Suspended for sexual assault at sexual assault conference. Is that like a sexual assault course? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, he got charged, and there will be a, an investigation and everything on this. Um, I want to read the last paragraph, though, of the people doing the investigating on it. It says, if true, this case is yet another disheartening example of the hollow pledges of zero tolerance. We have heard for more than 20 years. When the military has those at the top of the chain who are in charge of fighting sexual assault accused of sexual misconduct at a conference on sexual assault, it should be clear to every level-headed human being that the status quo must be changed. That is a very strange... I mean, as if you get away with that, because everyone's on high alert, and all the specialists that are specialists in sexual assault are going to be there. That's like going to a conference on, on how to beat burglaries and how to be safe and how not to be mugged and mugging someone. It's have very you worked bizarre. someplace, though, that claims to have zero tolerance? Like when you were a teacher in England, did they have zero tolerance policy? Oh, no, we was allowed to sexually assault anybody. <laughs> I mean, the term, I'm talking about the term zero, zero tolerance. Though. Oh, yes. I mean, there was zero tolerance bullying policies. I mean, in the okay. schools I worked in, I don't know what they do in this country, but they would have bullying policies that you would give out to parents and uh, it would list every sanction and the processes that you would go through if your child reported bullying. And, of course, you know, there's a, there's a zero tolerance um as, as you would expect when you're working with minors, again, minors has come up, but, uh, you know, children and the like. Absolutely. Yeah. Have you worked I find, anywhere? I was going to say, I find that I'm going to agree with the government being, it, the term zero tolerance is just a term. It is not enforced anywhere in the government that I can see. And the reason I say that is because I was sexually abused by my boss and the government's response to that was after they were done investigating, they decided that the two of us needed uh, sexual harassment training. Right. And then they forced me to carpool with him one and a half hours, one way wow. to go to that class. That's outrageous. <laughs> How long ago was that out of interest? Are we talking recent or? 20 years ago. 20 years. I would like to think having faith in human nature that that wouldn't happen again there's almost a sense there that you know if you're if you're a wife you know and you get beaten or abused then then that's what you deserve and so forth but i'd like to think in the last 20 years you know how was that journey for you by the way did you did you talk much was oh, the radio it was horrible on? it was absolutely horrible and i i turned my back as much as i could to him driving and he attempted to talk and stuff and it was like i thought not- you were going to say he attempted to touch you Oh, he was trying to talk to me about the situation and convince me that I was overreacting and things like that. And I just, I wouldn't talk. That's outrageous. I I just, you know, I find it remarkable. The stories that we have on such a regular basis here have left me wondering if there is any faith left in human nature when we come across such cases. But uh, wholly remarkable. I mean, what an idiot for doing something like that. 
you know, at a, at a place where there's a heightened sense of looking out for that. Right. It just seems remarkable. I, I, I find it, it just makes you wonder what these people are thinking. I find the whole thing very strange and very bizarre. But we are in the round of uh, Not For Your Mother, of course, which that falls into. I shall give you a very hefty two points for that story. Heather, what have you got for me tonight in the round of Not For Your Mother? Extreme cold winter conditions may cause scrotal frostbite, leading to high meat costs. Wow, for one moment there, I thought you said <laughs> scrotal frostbite. Oh, sexy girlfriend! Wow, she that's like a it. popsicle. <laughs> I did, what, scrotal frostbite? I said scrotal frostbite. I thought you did. Yeah. The sub-zero temperatures and persistent winds that pushed wind chills into the 30 to 50 degrees below zero range affecting a large swath of the country this winter also raised potential for a scrotal frostbite in what about, bulls. Uh, I'm sorry, in where? Bulls. Th- Not that, you. Were you thinking you? No, I was thinking that was in Michigan. No. The bulls are just left of... I don't know where that is. The bulls are just left of, of center. Yeah. What are they doing? Walking around with their bits hanging out? If everything's... T- bulls? I'm sorry. Oh, with a you. <laughs> What, discuss, yes. what type of balls are we discussing here? Balls with an A or balls with a U? Bulls. Yes, you like can say. Me. You can, oh, <laughs> balls. I was thinking, strangely <laughs> enough. You were with, thinking about your own protection, weren't no, you? I was. I Frostbite? was worried. On the scrotum. Well, I read that again, but imagine it's balls with an A. Just read that line with. Imagine balls with an A. Which line would you like, sir? The only one you've read so far. Uh, the sub-zero temperatures and persistent winds that push wind chills into the 30 to 50 degrees below zero range affecting a large swath of the country this winter. Swathe, I suspect. Whatever. Yep, go on. Also raise the potential for scrotal frostbite in bulls. Uh, well, that works both ways, doesn't it? And that works. It could be bulls or it could be bulls. <laughs> the way you say it, it's Leave that fabulous. cow alone, sir. He's <sighs> just worried about the frostbite. Okay. While normal winter conditions typically don't result in scrotal frostbite in breeding bulls or balls, the extreme cold, harsh, and prolonged weather experienced this year increased its likelihood and could result in the animal's infertility for upcoming breeding season. If are the, you worried? If the snow gets hot, I don't have a breeding season. If the snow gets <laughs> high enough, what are they doing? Dragging along? It could just happen. You know, the wind. Wind chill. Wind chill. Yeah, it could freeze your bulls. Whistling through. Wow. Wind protection is key in keeping bulls from scrotal frostbite, particularly in older bulls. 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 There's a a whole series of women at the uh, local. Women? Women knitting bull scarves as we speak. (laughs) Bull ball scarves. Yeah, like a hammock in many respects with a bow around the back. This is fabulous. Older bulls with lower lower hanging scrotums oh <laughs> are more likely are more frequently adversely affected because they are not able to pull their testicles up close to the body and keep them warm. <laughs> Anything you want to add at this stage, Greg? No, no okay, we'll keep going. You just you know, let me know when you want to chip in with something. Defects in sperm are potential or proportional to the severity of the frostbite lesions. <laughs> There's all these little sperms running around with gloves on and a knitted scarf and a balaclava. Uh, testicle adhesions and swelling of the testes. I feel bad for so them. So watch out for those. The trick is to put them in something to keep them warm. Balls. 
I feel bad. I, I never knew such things existed. I, I've, I've lived a sheltered life and uh, who knew of such Protect things? Protect your bulls. It's never cold enough in Britain for that ever to take place. You never have frostbite on your scrotum. Not, not in this... Well, in Britain I haven't, but uh, <laughs> there's been one or two occasions in this country where... You were concerned? I was concerned, yeah. If it wasn't for her warm hands, I'd have been in all kinds of trouble. <laughs> Appallingly bad. It's for medical reasons, honestly. You're welcome. Thank officer, you. Officer. I shall finish. I have a story tonight. This is, uh, I mean, you know, every week we have a donkey rape story. So I just thought I'd add to this. It says, man caught raping a donkey confesses to having tried his luck with a dog. I mean, it's not bad enough that you're caught with a with a donkey. You think you put your hand up and say, oh. Where oh, did you put your hands? Where did you put your hands? <laughs> I, I'm keeping my hands warm with this dog and this donkey. A 20... I say Where'd so. Where'd the horse come in? <laughs> He's just got ambitions, that's all. You start small and work your way up. If I was uh, Como Park Zoo, I would be worried at this point in time. A 20-year-old man from Fakama in Sulabela was allegedly caught pants down with a donkey by the owner, who then demanded money. Does anyone know what the going rate is for going with your donkey? Does anyone? <laughs> Something we need to look up. Nequambano Moyo was caught busy quenching his sexual desire on a donkey by the owner of the animal, identified as Jet. According to the sources familiar with the situation, Mayo had actually fallen in love with the donkey since it was not the first time he was caught with the animal. They obviously have some sort of long-lasting relationship. The only thing I'm suggesting, just from a technical aspect, is that, you know, I've seen, I've been to farms, I've seen donkeys, and I've seen what happens when they get amorous. That's not going to touch the sides, is it, is why I'm going with this. I mean, did the donkey even look up? You know, was it eating the grass and thinking, I wonder what that is? I mean, it's not going to make a dent, is it, is where I'm going. Uh, If that, I would suggest. But it says here, Mayo was allegedly once caught sometime last year with the donkey and reported he begged for mercy. I'm going to talk technicalities now because uh, if you think about that process in your mind, it says it is reported that he actually dug a pit. So he this wasn't a spur of the moment thing. He wasn't walking past the field and thinking, oh, hello, she's looking at me slightly funny. I like her eyelashes. You know, I, I'm just, he actually dug a pit to stand in, to make, to for the donkey to stand in, to make all of this uh, possible, apparently. Wow. <laughs> you know, so, you know, he's, he's getting a workout as well here. The police source also said that Mayo shocked all and sundry when he confirmed that he had sexually abused a chicken, which uh, <laughs> we go, we got a whole farmyard. No, I said pluck the chicken um, when he was making love to it. I, I'm just wondering if these are male or female, by the way. I the wonder, chickens? Well, either, to be honest. I'm wondering, you know, is he is he... Is he is he differentiating between the sexes here, or is it just a free for all? Is the chicken female? I hope so, because you if, hope if so. not, it would be a what? It would be a rooster. <laughs> it also, <laughs> it also. Uh, I'm sat here looking rather smug, like I can do my own plumbing. Um, it also <laughs> alleged that Mayo confessed to having tried his luck with a dog that nearly <laughs> bit. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Greg's winning points here. I didn't realise he had so many animals on his uh, laptop. There. What type of dog? I don't know. Let's hear it again. What does it sound like? No, I meant what oh. type of dog was he with? It was a female dog. I have no idea. What Wait, are, you... are we talking Chihuahua, St. Bernard, Great Dane? 
Well, he's gone from a donkey to a chicken. So any at this point, any any, I'm guessing it's a slow dog because he's got to catch it. It's not going to be a greyhound, is it? <laughs> it wasn't a dash hound. Not, it's not a whip it by any chance. <laughs> whip it in. So I've drunk in the whip it in. They do a really nice pint in there, oh. actually. Um, Mayo was later released by the police after the owner agreed to an out-of-court settlement. According to sources, Jet, who is the owner of the donkey in question, asked for a beast in return for a payout. So he's looking for another animal. Uh, obviously, uh, would you would you take an animal from this man? I'm guessing everything he's touching is going to be, you know, soiled at some point. Soiled. Um, the guy's really upset, apparently, because the donkey doesn't even write. So obviously we're ending on a sad note. Well, you there. know, it's it's. I think it is sad because all he was trying to do was look for a little ass. Wow. <laughs> Did you take two minutes to come up with that? I was just waiting for you to take a breath. <laughs> oh, wow. And you jumped in at the end. And for that, I shall give you... Lots one, of points. One point. That does leave me with a dilemma because it's now a tie for first place, which is going to cause me a problem now, isn't it? Why can't we all be winners? We're all winners here, aren't we? <laughs> apart we're from, never all winners. Apart from the farmer who has a, a menagerie of animals that this guy seems to not be able to <laughs> keep away from. To be fair, a donkey can't say no, can it, is where we're going. <laughs> well, all good things come to an end. So let's look at tonight's wow. scores. Greg, you are on a resplendent fire for producing some of the most amazing farmyard Animal noises I've heard in a very long time. I am also on a five. So we are tied Mm -hmm. currently for third place. But we have joint winners tonight. So with the respect, you're going to have to share the $33,000 IR camera that we have. High fives all around the room for the ladies involved. You have resplendent eight points each. But do not fear, listener. Remember, we are back with a whole new bunch of stories next week at the same time. And I would love for you to join me for a fun and informative journey through the world of the paranormal. Strange, intriguing, very bizarre and very weird. Please tell your friends and family about the show and feel free to contact me anytime via my Facebook site. More questions and answers with Adrian Lee. Or you can email me at any time at mqta at rocketmail.com. My gratitude and greatest thanks are extended to Lorna Hunter, Heather Morris, Jeton Drainer, Kim and Greg Gore, and all at the International Paranormal Society at intparanormal.net. And all of the show's sponsors, including the Lakes Area Paranormal Interest Group and MUFON of Minnesota. It just remains for me to say thank you for listening, and remember, be interested and interesting. Good night. <laughs>